0: But anyway, good good afternoon, it's good to see all, all of you here today. I'm Pastor Brian, one of the teaching pastors, and we're going to continue on in the Gospel of Mark. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Mark chapter 6 or a Bible app, you can pull that up on your phone as well. Before we get into that though, I, I just want to make mention of today, it's a special day, March 21st, no, May 21st, not just because, not just because... Uh, of tonight, which is going to be fun. I think the worship night tonight. I hope you make plans to come back tonight to worship with us. But also because a couple of weeks ago we announced that we are going to be moving forward with a property in Syracuse for our Syracuse campus. For those of you who don't know, we Alpine Church is a multi-site church, so we have six different English-speaking campuses and then two Spanish-speaking campuses. Meet at those locations, and the only. Campus that doesn't have a building, a full-time facility, is our Syracuse campus. It's our newest campus. We launched it about five years ago. Uh, We've got land. We've been sitting on land waiting to build, and uh, it's just so expensive to build right now that finally we've started looking for other property in Syracuse that already had a building on it. We found something. We announced all this a couple weeks ago. We're going to move forward with the with the purchase of that land. In the meantime, we're selling the existing land that we have, but all that kind of boils down to that it's an opportunity for us to raise support for the phase one build-out of that building, and so we announced that a couple of weeks ago. Many of you have already been giving. Thank you so much if you've given to that already, but what we're encouraging people to do, if you call Alpine your home church, is to really pray about how, how to give and what to give, how much to give financially above and beyond your regular giving, and um, and today was the day we wanted to do it by. Today was the day we thought, let's, tr- let's put a date on it, or otherwise we're all going to procrastinate. Nobody's going to get around to doing it. And, um, and so if you are ready to give that gift, you can do it online. You can do it right in the giving box at the back of the auditorium today. Now, some people have asked the question, hey, what if I'm not quite ready? I still have to sell a couple of you know, cows and horses and whatever it is you're gonna, you have to do to get ready. You don't have to give today. If you missed today, if you're not quite ready for that financially, uh, you can give any time during the summer. We encourage you to give toward that. So anytime this summer, if you give and you want to give toward that specific need, just write Syracuse on your check, if you know what a check is, or there's going <laughs> to, some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. So for all the rest of you, uh, online, if you go to the pull, there's a pull down, you can donate and one of the options is a Syracuse Building Project, so I encourage you to give toward that. And we'll give periodic updates throughout the summer as we, uh, as we close on that deal and as we start uh, breaking ground, so to speak, and starting that phase one build out. But the Syracuse folks are super excited, and so thank you for your giving toward that. All right, today we are continuing on in the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to open up finally to chapter 6. And today we're going to talk all about rejection because this is the part of Scripture where Jesus goes back to his hometown, he gets rejected, and then he sends his disciples out to do ministry, and he knows that they'll also get rejected. So today we're going to talk a lot about rejection. We're going to, we're going to dig up some scars for you. I want to start with a question. Have you ever felt rejected? Yeah, raise your hand if you've ever felt rejected. Raise your hand. I'll wait. God's watching. Raise your hand. If you are not raising your hand... You don't know what feelings are, because everyone's felt rejected. Maybe some of you stuff it more than others. I'm, I'm one of the stuffers. I'm one of those guys that was, was, and probably guys are like this more than women are like this. We're not super self-aware. I just kind of keep my head, head down and plow through it. But as I think about rejection, I think about grade school. You know, you're out on the playground during grade school. You're playing kickball. Is this just me? No adults are around. The kids are organizing this themselves. That's a, that's a problem right there, right off the bat. It's like Lord of the Flies, right? And two kids somehow get, I don't know who made them boss. Two kid get, kids get to be captains, and then they pick their teams. You remember this? This wasn't just me, was it? And I remember you just sit there, and you're just like, please don't let me be the last one picked. Please do not be, let me be the last. Now, for me, in my particular case, I have a twin brother Who's slightly more athletic than I am? He's slightly taller. He's slightly faster. He hits the ball a lot farther or kicks it in this case. And so, my thing, I didn't care about anyone else. I'm like, please let me get picked before Mark. And I almost never was. I almost never was. So, for some of you, you're like, oh, great. I got to go see my therapist this week because I just drudged up some rejection feelings for you. But today, we're going to talk about that because actually, Jesus gets us. Jesus has been rejected. And what we're going to see in Jesus' response is how to handle it when you're rejected. How does a completely secure person handle rejection? Because it's really, it's our insecurity that gets us to handle it in an unhealthy way, whether outwardly or inwardly. It's the insecure person who struggles to handle rejection. But if you've ever met somebody who's like totally secure in who they are, not like fake secure Fake secure is someone who, who walks into the room and they're, they're acting you know, all brave and strong and a lot of times that comes off as cockiness. Don't mistake that for a secure person. Those people aren't necessarily secure. That's just how their insecurity comes out. But a truly secure person is someone who is completely comfortable with who he is. He knows who he is. She knows who she is. They're people who are comfortable in their own skin and these are the people that know how to handle rejection because they don't take rejection personally. And spoiler alert, Jesus is the most secure person who ever walked the face of the earth because Jesus knows who he is. Security comes from knowing who you are. Security comes from knowing what makes you you and why you're valuable and why you're special. Jesus knew who he was. Not everybody else did, as we're gonna see in the story today, but Jesus knew who he was. So I want you to pay attention to Jesus and how he handled rejection so that you can apply it to your own life and then Jesus is going to send out his disciples and get really specific about how to handle rejection when it comes your way. So let's get into the text. Mark chapter six, starting in verse one, it says this. Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. So he'd spend, you know, we've been spending five chapters kind of following Jesus through the region. He's performing all these incredible miracles. He's doing all these teachings. It's really awesome. And now he comes home. He heads home to his hometown, Nazareth. The next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. They asked, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? Now, just if you stop right there, you're like, oh, this is going to be a really cool story. He comes to his hometown. They throw a ticker tape parade for him. They're like, this guy, this guy's great. We've heard about all the stuff you've done. We, couldn't, we had no idea how special you were. We can't believe we missed this while you were growing up. Remember, Jesus grew up. Jesus was 30 when he started his ministry. So like this, these, these were his homies. These were his friends. These were people he hung out with. He goes off and he starts doing this public ministry and all of a sudden he's famous. He shows up back in Nazareth and at first you kind of get the sense as you're reading this, that it's going to be pretty cool. He's going to do some pretty awesome stuff in his hometown. But then it turns. It says, then they scoffed. So they go from being amazed and wondering how he could do all this incredible stuff to in an instant, they scoff. They say, he's just a carpenter. The son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and his sisters live right here among us. Did you know that Jesus had at least six siblings? That's crazy. And it says, verse 3, they were deeply offended and refused to believe him. Let's kind of drill down on some of these words here. First of all, Nazareth. So Nazareth, you probably thought Nazareth was like Salt Lake City. Nazareth was like Mendon. That was Nazareth. Nazareth was a little podunk town. No offense if you're from Menden. (laughs) But as I drove up this morning into the valley, for the I've been driving up here for a decade and for whatever reason I've never seen the sign that says Menden turn left right isn't it turn left when you're coming up from the and I'm like how have I never seen that before I think the Holy Spirit gave me eyes to see that word because that's Nazareth it's like a small town in fact someone in the first service came up to me and said she's from Menden and I was like wow Nazareth that's great she laughed she's like yeah podunk Menden that's where I'm from this is where Jesus is from. He was from a tiny, tiny town. Now, I'm from Chicago. And so we, the, our, our Nazareth was Wisconsin. Like the whole state. Like, we made fun of the whole state of Wisconsin. Green Bay among them, right? So that's the first thing is Jesus is returning to this no-name town. And then, and then they said this. They said he's just a carpenter. Now, again, we just would read right past that. But remember... They're talking about him being a great teacher, and a great teacher was supposed to have studied under another great teacher, a rabbi, is what the Jewish people called their teachers. So if you were a rabbi worth anything at all, then you would have studied under a great rabbi. It was kind of a mentoring thing. You've heard of Aristotle, Plato, Socrates. It was that sort of a thing, like like whoever you studied under is really what, what was part of your pedigree. And they said, he's just a carpenter. He's not even a... He's not even a rabbi. He's not even a teacher. He's just a carpenter. After all, he was 30 years old when he finally left his hometown. And he was a carpenter all that time. Isn't that crazy to think? Your picture of Jesus, my picture of Jesus, we think about the stories we see in the Gospels, but that was just the last three years of his life. For 30 years, he was just a carpenter. In other words, he doesn't know anything. Why listen to him? And then, They said he's the son of Mary. Now, that's an interesting one because, again, us Gentiles, we read right past that. We don't understand the way a Jewish person would have thought 2,000 years ago. But 2,000 years ago, if you introduced yourself to someone, you'd say, I'm the son of Joseph. I'm the son of Michael. You would talk about who your dad is. You wouldn't talk about who your mom is. When people referred to you, they would talk about, oh, you know Jesus, son of Joseph? That's not how they knew him. He was Jesus, son of Mary. Now think about this for a second. So the small town of Nazareth understood their story. They knew Mary's story. And you remember a few decades earlier, Mary was a teenage, unmarried, pregnant girl. Now, those of you from Menden know know what that would be like in a small town. Everybody would know about that, wouldn't they? everybody would know about it. And so actually, most scholars think that this is a little bit of a dig, not a little bit of a dig, like this is a big dig. Oh yeah, it's that guy, the illegitimate son of Mary. And so they had no respect. In fact, it says that they were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Now, Now, that's the picture that the The Jews in Nazareth had about Jesus. But look at what Paul says about Jesus in Colossians chapter 1. This is the truth about Jesus. This is his real identity. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world, Everything was created through him and for him. What a contrast. He's just a carpenter. He's the son of Mary. He's a nobody. He offends me. Who do you think you are? Telling me what to think, what to believe. And what Paul understood about Jesus is he's the creator of the universe. See, this is what Jesus knew about Jesus. Jesus knew who he was. Jesus Jesus wasn't insecure. Again, when we read we re-read the first three verses of Mark, Mark chapter six. We're probably getting a little bit worked up. We're thinking about kickball and we're thinking about getting chosen we're, and we're gonna kind of bow up and we're gonna defend ourselves and we're gonna do something. And guess what? If you were this guy, you could have done whatever you wanted to. You could call fire down from heaven and just scorch the whole town of Nazareth if you wanted to. And some of you maybe would have done that in your insecurity, but Jesus is not insecure. Jesus knows who he is. He's not going to let what those people say about him, he's not going to let that define him. He's not going to let that get under his skin. He's not going to lash out. He doesn't need to. He knows who he is. So here's what he did. Verse four. Jesus told the people, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his relatives and his own family. Which, by the way, means that probably the Six siblings, he had at least six. Maybe they didn't even respect Jesus at this point. And it says that because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles. Except to place his hands on a, on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Two things I want you to look at. First of all, it says he couldn't do any miracles. Isn't that interesting? You're not gonna find that Anywhere else in the Gospels, go scour the Gospels tonight and see if you can find anywhere else where Jesus couldn't do something. This is really kind of an anomaly that Jesus couldn't do something. Now, it wasn't because he didn't have the power. He could do whatever he wanted to. It was because they didn't have the faith. So their faith limited his ability to do, his, do, do miracles in his hometown. And then what it says at the, really, at the very end of this section is interesting. It says, he was amazed at their unbelief. You know, we've been seeing the word amazed a lot so far in Scripture, and every time in the Gospel of Mark, it's Jesus does something, and they're amazed. Jesus does something else, and they're amazed. So there's a lot of amazement in the Gospel of Mark, but this is the first time, actually this is the second time we've seen the amazement of Jesus. The first time was when Jesus was amazed at the faith of a Gentile, a non-Jewish person. And this is the only other time in the Gospels where we see Jesus being amazed at something. Wouldn't it be cool if he was amazed at something good? Like, he was amazed at how wonderful these people were. Now he was amazed at their unbelief. He couldn't believe that they didn't believe. That was amazing to him. That was, he marveled at that. I can't believe, of all people, you guys don't believe me. And so his miracles were limited. And then that's it. That's all we have in this story. You know, the Gospel of Mark is really quick. It's like fast-paced. So he's like, he tells this story. It's kind of like watching a movie. He tells this story so we see this scene, and then he moves to the next scene, and he's going to move to the next scene, which we've included in our text today because I see it as all one whole. Verse 7, it says, Then Jesus went from village to village teaching the people. That's it. He's, gone, he's done with Nazareth now. He was in Nazareth for six verses, and then he left. Remember that. Because it says that he called his 12 disciples together, and he began sending them out two by two. He told them to take nothing for their journey except a walking stick, no food, no traveler's bag, no money. He allowed them to wear sandals like Luke. Luke wears sandals today. I noticed that. Thank you, Luke, because we all make fun of him because usually he just walks around in bare feet. We're like, Luke, do you go into the bathroom with those bare feet? Let's get you some sandals for the bathroom at least, you know. Anyway, he allowed them to wear sandals. Thank you, Jesus. But not to take any change of clothes. And then he said this, verse 10. Wherever you go, stay in the same house until you leave town. But if any place refuses to welcome you or listen to you, which had just happened to him, he said, shake its dust from your feet as you leave to show that you have abandoned those people to their fate. Now just think about what we're studying here all together, like from verse one all the way to this verse, because it really is, Mark put these two scenes together on purpose. He, he wants us to see a pattern here that when Jesus was rejected, he moved on. And I, I, I think some of you maybe need to hear this. When Jesus was rejected, he moved on. And not only did he move on, but he encouraged his disciples to move on. He didn't let the rejection, his, his miracles, his message, what he was bringing to the world that got rejected in his hometown, he wasn't like, oh man, maybe I should stop doing this. Maybe, maybe, maybe I should try something else. No, he was rejected. He didn't let it affect him, his sense of mission, his view of himself, his self-confidence. He moved on to other villages and preached in other villages. And then on top of that, he grabs his disciples and he says, you guys go preach in other villages. He's like, we're going to keep going. We're going to keep pushing forward, even though we just had a bad day (laughs) in Nazareth. And he says this, and I want to drill down on this. He said, Shake its dust from your feet if they reject you. Now that was, if you were a Jewish person 2,000 years ago, you would have understood that. That was actually something that Jewish people did after they left a Gentile town. If you left a Gentile town, a non-Jewish town, you were supposed to like shake its dust from your feet. Like, I'm gonna leave you here. I don't even wanna take the dust from a Gentile town with me. It was incredibly offensive if a Gentile cared. I don't know if they cared. But it was meant to be offensive. It was meant to be an affront to the Gentiles. Like, you are beneath me. You are below me. And so basically Jesus is saying, if someone rejects your message, treat them like Gentiles. It's not your concern. You need to leave and show them that they've been abandoned to their fate. And so I've got two people that I want to talk to today with this message. Number one is is to the Christians, and to go back to this question, have you ever felt rejected? If you're a follower of Jesus, if you've been going to Alpine for any length of time, hopefully you've kind of caught on by now that we want you to be a disciple maker. We want you to help people pursue God. Like, that's, that's the calling on all of our lives. Most Christian churches don't do this anymore, but this is what we're supposed to be doing, is we don't just come to church on Sunday morning and preach messages and listen and, and do good worship we also go out into the world and we invite people and we share with people and we try to have sh- shine our light to the world around us. Like this is what, if you're a Christian, this is what you should be about. And many of you are about that, so good on you to so many people at this campus and all of our campuses who are like trying to mentor people, trying to invest in people, inviting people. But here's what's gonna happen. If it hasn't already, here's what's gonna happen. You will get rejected. I can't tell you how many people that I've connected. I've, you know, somebody needs a mentor. That's what we call it around here, discipling, mentoring. Somebody needs a mentor, and so we connect person A with person B, and, and the mentor's walking with them, and, and I can't wait to meet with you. I mean, just the other day, I was talking to a good friend at our, at our Leighton campus, and he is just on fire for Jesus and reaching out to, to other men, offering to meet with them, and he's been rejected. It feels like in the last few months he's been rejected at least 50% of the time. And I could tell because I talked to him about it and he gets emotional. He's like, I, they won't answer my calls anymore. They're not interested. And I could see the pain in his heart. He's just like, what's wrong with me? Why? Like he, he has so much to offer and he, he just loves these guys. He's awesome. He's got so much wisdom. But they're rejecting him. And I just encourage him. I'm like, you're not the first one. You won't be the last one. This one isn't the first one to reject you, and he won't be the last one to reject you. Your job isn't to make someone pursue God. Your, your job is to help someone pursue God. And if they don't want the help, then shake your dust. Shake the, the dust from your feet and move on to the next person. Now, that doesn't mean that God's done with that first person. Maybe, maybe that first person just needs a little time. I want to encourage you, if you're here today and you've tried to invest in people, you've tried to mentor someone, and they've kind of given you the cold shoulder, join the crowd. We've all been there. It's not about you. This, this passage is for you. What you do is you move on and you move with the movers. You find out who wants to move forward and you walk with those people toward Christ. Just a few months ago, Tracy and I met a couple at our Leighton campus. They're coming out of a, another church tradition that doesn't believe in the Jesus of the Bible. And you can just tell they're so hungry for Jesus. And the first time I sat down for lunch with this guy, you know, typically what I do is I'd like to spend a few months just getting to know him, answering, you know, walking with them maybe through some of the topics that they're interested in. Maybe it's marriage or parenting or whatever. And I sat down with him and it didn't take me very long that this guy is ready to talk about Jesus. So, so I said right away, I said, hey, do you want to, do you and your wife want to go through, we have a, we have a like a flagship series at PursueGod.org. It goes along with this booklet called The Pursuit. I said, do you want to go through The Pursuit? He said, yes, we already grabbed the book at church. We've already read it. We'd love to talk it through with you. It's just 10 really simple chapters, but it's, the, whole, the whole thrust is to say, sit down with someone and talk through it with somebody. Don't just read it. So they already read it. They're like, we want to talk about it now. So for the next 10 weeks, we just started meeting with this couple every Wednesday night to talk about this. And I'm telling you, it was so fun to show up and to hear them process everything that they'd been learning in preparation to talk about that particular topic. So, you know, we talked about why the Bible's trustworthy. We talked about sin and what sin is. We talked about who Jesus, who the biblical Jesus is. That's chapter five. And I remember the wife showed up and she's like, I didn't, I had no idea. I mean, she'd grown up in church her whole life. But they preached a different Jesus. And she was just eating it up. She's like, this is incredible. I love, she, what, who she met was the Jesus of Colossians 1. She says, I love, I, lo- I love that I can let Jesus be Jesus and I can just be a human. See, she used to thought, think that Jesus was like us. She used to think that Jesus was just a human, that he wasn't God, fully God. But that he's kind of like a, she called him like a big brother. She used to think of him like a big brother. And that was burdensome for her and for him. Because they're like, I can't, I don't know if I can live up to him, but I think that's what I'm supposed to do. And you can't. Jesus is God. He's not your big brother. And to see these two just embrace the message of the gospel and, and come to this place where they receive Jesus as their savior, They trusted in Jesus as their savior, and we've seen hundreds of stories like that in over 20 years in Utah. But we've seen thousands of rejections. For every person who's come to faith, there have easily been 10, 20, 30, 50 people who rejected the message. And here's the thing, this is what Jesus is saying. That's not your job. If you're if you're trying to help people pursue God, your job is just to help them. You can't force them. Your job is to offer them bread. One of my pastors years ago said this, it's just like we're beggars offering other beggars bread. That's it. That's all we are. We're beggars who have bread, and we're offering it to other people, but we can't make you take it. We can just offer it. It feels right, like rejection when you say no to it. But if Jesus could move on, then we should move on too. And I want to encourage you, if you're a follower of Jesus, to have eyes open to those who have ears that are ready to hear the message that you have to share. And if they're not ready, don't force it. If they're not ready, just move on because there are other people who are ready. Move with the movers, walk with the people who are ready to hear it. That's what Jesus did, and that's what he taught his disciples to do. But I want to close by, we've got two more verses that I want to read, and these verses are for the people in here who maybe are a little bit on the fence in terms of Jesus. You're still trying to figure out what you think about Jesus. And maybe you've been rejecting him up until now. In verse 12, it says, the disciples went out, telling everyone to repent of their sins and turn to God. They cast out many demons and healed many sick people, anointing them with olive oil. And I want to focus in on verse 12. Verse 12 says this, that they went out telling everyone they met to repent of their sins and turn to God. This is the basic message of the gospel. The message of the gospel, and you can take it or leave it. You can can reject it if you want. Many people did, and many people still do. But right now I'm talking to the person in here who's on the fence, and you're trying to decide for yourself whether you want to accept it or reject it. Here's the message. I want to make sure you hear the message. The message is this. You're broken, you're a sinner, and Jesus is your Savior. Jesus did for you what you can't do for yourself. He lived a perfect, sinless life, and you can't. You can't. So the good news is that Jesus went to the cross and died in your place because he didn't have to die for his own sins. And the good news of the Bible is just that if you would trust in Jesus, if you would look to the cross and say, I trust that what you did for what you did on the cross, you did for me, and I receive your forgiveness. The Bible says that in an instant, in a moment, you'd be saved. In a moment, your relationship with God is made right. Anyone who's married understands that. Like, because if husbands and wives, if you've ever been in a little tiff with your spouse, you know how that feels. It's just like there's something, something's wrong there. Like, there's a wall there. There's something not right. Until, you, until finally you, you're, you're able to reconcile and be made right with each other, it's like that times a millionth because it's the God of the universe who never did anything wrong and has only loved you. And he's waiting to be made right with you and all of the fault, all of the blame is on you because you're broken and you're sinful and you're lost. And that's why their message was, to everyone that they met, their message was repent of your sins and turn to God. If you repent of your sins, that means to... Turn from your way of doing life, your way of thinking about things, your attempt to like, make yourself right with God. You need to turn from all of that and turn in faith to Jesus. The Bible says in a moment, the moment you do that, you'll be saved, you'll be changed. This was the message of Peter. In Acts chapter two, the first sermon that Peter preached, he preached all about Jesus. And then at the end of his sermon, the Bible says that the people who were listening were cut to the heart, which means that something happened inside of them it's like a light bulb turned on inside of them and they said, what should we do? And he said, repent of your sins and turn to God. The same thing that Jesus told his disciples to say. And so that's the message today. And if you're here today and you're, you're trying to decide whether you believe in the Jesus of Nazareth or the Jesus of Colossae, you just think Jesus is a carpenter, you're not sure that you think he's anything special, or do you recognize he's the creator of the universe and he's God himself, If you're here today and you want to finally say, I want to receive that Jesus. I want to stop rejecting that Jesus and I want to receive the biblical picture of Jesus because that Jesus can save you. If that's you today, I'm just going to invite everybody to to pray a thing that we call a sinner's prayer and it's right here. It's actually literally right here in the middle of this little booklet. Because after we talk about sin and Jesus, we invite people to receive salvation. We invite people to repent of your sins and turn to God. We don't always do this, but every once in a while we actually pray this right here at church, and I want to do that today because some of you might want to pray a prayer just like that. If that's you today, then I want to invite you to do it. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? And I'm literally going to read this prayer, but I want you, if, you, if you're ready to pray that, if you're ready to receive Jesus today for the first time, that I want you to just pray this just in your heart, just This is just between you and God. Just pray a prayer like this. Jesus, I recognize I'm a sinner. I know that you died on the cross and rose from the dead so that I could have life. I'm turning from my sin now and I'm turning to you in faith. I trust in you alone to forgive my sin and give me new life. I'm not going to reject you anymore. I'm going to turn to you in faith. Thank you for the free gift of salvation. Amen.